Good. Hey, we're in part seven of our first series, Gospel-Centered, and that just is, again, one, what we want to wrap our lives around as a, as a community of faith, and uh, we, we know there's a lot of great churches to choose from. A lot of them are preaching Christ this morning. We praise God for them, and we want to continue to pray for them. What we need is gospel saturation in our city. Uh, the vast majority of, of Denver and the city abroad does not know Jesus as Savior, and has no interest in him. And so we want to be a community of light, a city on a hill. And so we, we want to make sure we're about the things God is about. And so we've said it's about the gospel. And the gospel is necessary for salvation. It's necessary for sanctification and growing in Christ. It's necessary for the fuel to send us out. And so we've looked at a lot of different things to that degree. And one of the things we, we saw is that there are just some deeply ingrained thought patterns in our world and in our life that um, we just kind of assume. And, and when we look at them and we look at them through the lens of the gospel, we say, actually, we should think differently about this. And in fact, Paul tells us that in Romans 12. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul says, we have to think differently. If we're, gonna, if, if we're really going to say the gospel changes everything, then we, we, what we're trying to do in this series is say, how does the gospel change? For example, next week, what does the gospel have to say about families and marriages and children? And the week after that, our final one in the series, we'll say, what does the gospel have to say about the world? And what should that mean for us as we are senders and sent out into the world. But today, I want to talk about an area that uh, is just deeply ingrained. Though we've been rescued and redeemed by the gospel, there's still some thought patterns and, and ideas that we have about things that, that need to be shifted by the gospel. Uh, for that, I know that um, I'm looking out here. Some of you have heard a version of this sermon already, and I apologize. But uh, uh, for that, I want to start with a, a number uh, that means nothing to you, but for a very short time in my life, it meant a lot to me. It's 11,505.27. 11,505.27. Go back with me to 1999. Uh, I was uh, going to seminary, uh, had graduated from CSU, and I was working as a financial advisor, working selling mutual funds and otherwise. And at that time, some of you may remember that the, the stock market, it was, we were in the middle of what was called the dot-com dot boom before the dot-com bust, and the stock market was going crazy. And so uh, one of the organizations, E-Trade, was doing a promotion. They said, if you could guess the ending value of the Dow Jones Industrial Average on December 31st, 1999, you win a million dollars, or the closest person to that wins a million dollars. And some people on my team saw that, and so we all signed up for that. And I said 11,505.27. At the time, it was about 10,000, the stock market was, and uh, it was just going crazy. I said, I think it's going to come up in this last quarter uh, about another 10, 15%. So I put in that number. I think I went home that night to my new wife, and I said, hey, I, I've entered into a sweepstakes. She's like, why are you telling me this? This is ridiculous. Okay. Uh, so she said, okay, I don't want to hear about it. Well, the months went by, and the market continued to climb and climb and climb and climb, and every now and again, I'd say, well, it's going in the right direction. She'd say, okay, whatever. Um, we were still hundreds and hundreds of points off. Well, the last week of the millennia, we got there, and uh, I said, hey, 
we're only about 450, 500 points away from 11,505.27. If we have a good week in the market, we could be close on this thing. And she's like, uh-huh, sure. Well, uh, Monday happens, Tuesday, and, and sure enough, it's grown 100 points, 120 points, 50 points, and, and it just goes so that the last day of the millennia, uh, we're about 100 points off. And I said, again, if we have a really good day in the market, we're going to be close on this thing. And so um, now she's like, really? Okay. <laughs> and so um, the, the market, I go to work, and the market opens, and sure enough, it begins to climb and climb and climb. And it looks like it's going to be a really good day in the market. And, and the market closes in Denver at 2 o'clock, because in the East Coast, that's 4 o'clock. And so uh, about 1 o'clock, I start getting phone calls from, guess who? My wife. And, and she's like, hey, are you watching this? I'm like, yes, I'm watching this. This is my job, but thank you very much. She's like, no, it's crazy. It's like 11,460. 75 right now. I was like, I know, it's crazy. And so um, we, we continue watching. I continue to get more and more calls, and it continues to go closer and closer. And about five minutes left in the market, um, I just forget my job and get up, and I go over to the TV on the side with the Bloomberg Financial News, and I'm just staring at that Dow Jones number, and it is now straddling 11,505. It's like 11,510, 11,502, and, and it just is coming down and down and down closer and closer to 11.505 so that when the bell rings at 2 o'clock and, and the, the market is closed, uh, it's like 11.505.80. And I'm like, oh my word, I can't, like now I'm getting another call from her. She's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. I'm like, yeah, I know it's crazy. And, and so, but the thing is, it, it, when the bell rings, it still is processing some more trades. And um, so it, it is still going back and forth, back and forth, a few points up a few points down, and then, um, I'm not a millionaire, <laughs> which would be a much cooler story, I suppose, but um, it ended at, uh, apparently people got freaked out the last seconds and wanted their money for Y2K, and it was 11502 um, and E-Trade was kind to me. They sent me $200 in, in money in, for, for just getting close, I guess, to invest with E-Trade, which was nice, but uh, not nearly as cool. Uh, but I tell that story all to illustrate a point that now looking back on that 17 years later, I am, with all sincerity, so grateful, so grateful that the Lord allowed me to not win that money. I mean, I can't imagine what my heart would have to process in the last 17 years. I look at the last 17 years and what God has done and shown me and grown in different ways, and I think, man, Lord, that would have been so derailed and sidetracked if, if we would have added to that money. And, and I know what you're thinking, and, and I'm on some level thinking this too. Well, well give me the shot, or if, if I had the choice today, if, could, I, could I get that? But, but here's the thing, and here's what... I, what what Paul would say we need to think differently on is this idea of money. See, there's, there's this idea that's deeply ingrained in our culture and society that your stuff equals your life. And so if you have more stuff, if you have nicer stuff, if your bank account is right, if your retirement plan is tight, and if you have all that in order, then you'll be happy and then you'll be content. But when will that be sufficient? It's always maybe, maybe for us it's just a little bit more. If I just had a little bit nicer house, a nicer car, 
or whatever the case may be. It's always this elusive thing. And, and when we tell each other and when the advertisements tell us that your stuff equals life, we find that our heart is gripped with uh, greed and, and underneath that it's gripped with fear. We're, we're afraid. We're afraid that if we don't have enough, at the end of the day, wherever that is, then, then there's going to come a point where, where God's just not going to come through for us. And, and uh, so we better make sure we do everything we can to order our lives rightly. When the gospel is going to tell us and remind us that there is a far deeper truth out there. There is a far deeper joy. There's a far higher hope in Christ. If we would live in light of the gospel, our hearts, this grip of greed and fear could be released and our hearts would be free. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 12 uh, this morning. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to is going to pursue our hearts. He's going to help us answer the question, why do we have, for the most part, more than we need? Why do we have more than we need? And so in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to unpack this for us. But if, if we were to open up the Gospels and, and lay out and categorize Jesus' sermons uh, and just kind of preach, if I was to preach proportionally what Jesus was to preach, then what you would see in churches today is, first of all, you'd see a lot more sermons, for example, on prayer and what it means to commune with our Heavenly Father. But about twice as often as you'd hear sermons on prayer, you'd hear sermons on the kingdom of God and, and what it's like to be a citizen in heaven. What, what's this upside-down kingdom that Jesus has introduced? But twice as often as you'd hear sermons on heaven, you know what sermons you would hear from Jesus and proportionally from me? You would hear sermons on hell. You say, well, I, I grew up in that kind of church. I left that kind of church. I don't need that. But Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about God's righteous and justified wrath against sinful humanity. And when he talked about it, it was because he loved people. But, but, but more than prayer, heaven and hell combined, you know what Jesus talks about the most? He talks about your money. Now, you may be new to church, or certainly you may be visiting, you're like, oh, so this is that, this is that kind of church. We just talk about money all the time. Or, and is it that Jesus just really, Jesus really needs our money? Is that the case? And I'd say, absolutely not. So uh, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus created, all things were created by him and for him and through him. He has never been impoverished. There's never been a need in God. Uh, if there was ever such a, a ridiculous notion, he would speak and it would come into existence. So God Jesus doesn't need your money, so we have to beg the question, why does Jesus talk about money all the time? And he gives us a hint in our passage later today, Luke chapter 12, verse 34, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't care about your money, he cares about your heart. And there's these things that clog our hearts, that give us a heart condition, that block our relationship with God and with others. And so for the gospel to be real in our lives, to live in light of the gospel, we have to think differently about our money for our joy and for God's glory. And so Jesus is going to do that with us today in Luke chapter 12. Let's pick up the story in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? 
So let's just pause the story real quick. So you can start to put the pieces of what's going on here. Jesus has, has left heaven in glory. He's, he's entered into our world. For 30 years, he worked as a carpenter, but now he's gone public, and he's a rabbi. He's a teacher, and he's one that has authority, and people recognize it when he talks. And so this something has happened in this family where uh, the father has died, and they've, they've had the funeral, and they've gone and, and done the mourning, and they told the stories, and now they've gotten to that sticky situation where it's time to divide the inheritance. And apparently they have a difference of opinion on how that should be divided. And so this younger brother sees Jesus and says, Jesus, he cares about the truth. He cares about righteousness. He cares about what's do- doing what's right. And so I'm going to appeal to Jesus. And, and that's what he does. He just says, Jesus, tell my brother to do what's right. Because you care about what's right, right, Jesus? Jesus says, Who made me the judge or arbitrator over you? I do care about what's right, but more than that, I care about relationships. And you're willing to sacrifice your relationship with your brother because of money, and your brother is doing the same, and and that's a heart condition. There's something in there that needs to be clarified. And Jesus gives us this huge truth on this. He says, verse 15, said to them, take care, or the word is, uh, watch out. In Czech, we would say pozor. Uh, it just means be on guard, like someone standing on the walls of a castle, watching out in case an enemy is on the horizon. Be diligent. Be vigilant. It says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed. Let me ask you the question. Does that characterize your approach to your bank account statement? I can't say that when I log on that I'm like, okay, Lord, I just really need you to guard my heart in this moment. Don't let this find its way into my heart and block my relationship with you. That's not my heart posture. And yet Jesus says, this has to be your heart posture because there's just this deeply ingrained thinking that, and he says it in verse, the very next part of the verse, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Says you believe it in your heart, but you got to know that's not true. And there are moments, right, in our lives where we know that's not true, right? right? Like when, when things are really good and you, you, you ask her to marry you and she says, yes, you, you're not thinking about your bank account in that moment. When, when you have your first child and, and you see that this is what life is about, you're not thinking about whether or not you have nicer stuff or a nice car or house. You're not thinking about that. And on the other end, it's true as well. When your child gets sick or, or someone in your family gets cancer or someone dies in that moment, you're like, man. Man, this is what life, this life matters. Life is short. Um, and in those extremes, we, we know this to be true. <coughs> but for the most part, you and I live like life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. And so Jesus says, don't. That's not true. I, I remember when I was a student up at CSU and I was in the library, I was reading an a article of psychology today. I was interested in it because the whole issue is devoted to this idea of happiness. What makes people happy? What makes people content? Of course, it's from a secular worldview, but they, they did a study on, they said, let's study and cross-compare two groups of people. Let, let's, let's do one group that everyone wants to be a part of. Let's look at the uh, lottery winners. 
And let's see about their contentment and happiness in life. And then let's look at another group that no one wants to be a part of. Let's look at people that have suffered some sort of car accident or tragedy where now they are paralyzed. And let's look at their levels of contentment and happiness. Because after all, wouldn't we all just say, we're just trying to be happy? So let's look at these. And, and they, they did, and they saw that the lottery winners, that they, they experienced an initial burst of happiness, not surprisingly. But very quickly, uh, over, that, over just the course of the year, the happiness began to decline, 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 so that it was at a lower point than when they had won the lottery a year later. I read an, uh, another article this week. Tim Chalice had it on there about lottery winners, and it was interviewing this, this girl, and she was lamenting how the lottery had just ruined her life. All this had ruined her life. And so the, the interviewer had asked her, he said, uh, have you ever thought about just giving it all away? Just getting rid of it. And she looked horrified and she said, why would I do that? Like there was a disconnect in a matter of seconds between this is terrible for me, why would I give it up? And so they looked at the, the paraplegics and they found, and you know what I'm, where I'm going with this, they found that those that had been paralyzed had, had now a higher satisfaction in life than the lottery winners. But here's how deeply ingrained this idea is in our life, that our stuff equals life. No one in here believes that. Everyone's saying, I'll sign up for the lottery. Thank you. I'll be God's man. Give me the million dollars, God. I'll give you $100,000 back. Uh, I, and, and no one's signing up for the, the car accident that gives them perspective on life because we believe this. And so Jesus says, I, 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 as Jesus does, he, 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 he gives the truth, but he says, you need to hear a story. I need to enter into your heart from the side door so that you uh, can, can get this gospel-centered view of what life is really all about here. And so he does that. He tells them a parable, verse 16, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, whenever you read Jesus' parables, pay attention to the individual words because they matter. So Jesus says it again. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So what produced plentifully? It's not a trick question. The land. Okay. So if you're first century agrarian society, or even if you come from a farming background, who would you have immediately attributed that coming from? Because not a trick question. God, right? Like, so uh, it was just seen like God provides the abundance of the harvest. And even today, uh, farmers tend to be more uh, faith-oriented than people in the city because they are dependent on that. And so uh, the, the hearers would have said, okay, so God has given this rich man, someone who already has more than he needs, more. Well, that's pretty cool. So the rich man gets more in this story. And he thought to himself, the rich man, what shall I do? Now, that's a good question. Do you ever pause and ask that question? When, when God gives you more than you need, what shall I do? Why did you give this to me, Lord? He says, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he's got this dilemma, this surplus dilemma. What shall I do? But unfortunately, in his isolation and in his greed, he's pushed people away and people have ran away and he's pushed God away. And so he lives this life of pathetic isolation. Notice all the first personal personal pronouns that, he's going, that are going to come up here. He says, and he said to him, I, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods. See all the personal, first personal pronouns? So, so what's the solution? I need bigger barns. That's why I'm convinced this guy, this dude is, I mean, he's from Parker. I mean, he got in a DeLorean and he, uh, 1985, he got up to 88 miles per hour, 1.21 gigawatts, flux capacitors sent him to the first century. He couldn't get back. And so he just has this mindset, man, I have a lot. God's given me more. What should I do? I need to build bigger barns. And, and, and I think this is a, a uniquely, well, it's not uniquely American because obviously this is a first century issue, but I, I've seen as a missionary traveling in dozens and dozens of countries, something unique to America. Now, I'm sure other countries are getting there and will get there, uh, but I, I, I did it on the way here. I passed a few of them, these storage units, right? Like, we've got so much. I've, we've got to build bigger barn. We've got three-car garages where people can't park their car in the garage because it's full of their stuff, and so we need bigger barns. We need storage units. We, we've got to just keep building more and more. And then he says, the second reason I think he's an American, he says, verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Just take the last third of your life off and just consume and just kind of waste the rest of my life. Get a, get a Winnebago, take it down to Palm Springs and go, go to Florida, collect seashells so that you can gather your seashells for the last 30 years of your life. Thank you very much. This is his plan. He's got the American dream retirement plan in place. But Jesus tells him the reality and the story, verse 20, but God said to him, fool, and you never want to hear that from God, by the way. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Says, the fact of the matter is, whether it's this night or whatever night, uh, the gospel tells us that this life lasts this long. James says, your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then is gone. We've got one brief moment to make our lives count for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And this guy's time is up. And Jesus asked this rhetorical question, whose will they be? All that stuff you've accumulated for your life, whose will it be? And the answer is someone else's. There's no hearses with U-Hauls behind them. You can't take it with you, Jesus says. And he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It's the surplus dilemma. Why do we have an abundance? Why do we have more than we need. And when we begin to go through the list, well, maybe it's because uh, God wants me to just really just pour out a blessing on my kids, but um, you probably know that you would serve your kids better by helping them to learn to work and earn for their own selves, current president notwithstanding. Uh, but you can, it, it's just, I don't think that's why God has given you more than you need so that you can just give it all to your kids. Or maybe it's because God doesn't want you to worry, right? I'd say, well, you're, you're halfway there. God does not want you to worry, but he wants the object of your security to be him. Hebrews 11 says that without faith, trusting in God, it's impossible to please him. So God hasn't given you more than you need so that you can just trust in your bank account and not worry. So there has to be another reason why he's given us a surplus. And he gives us a hint later down in the passage 
Verse 31, he says, instead, seek his kingdom. Or the, the Greek could mean seek only his kingdom. Or in Matthew 6.33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things will be given to you as well. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, here Jesus hits on the core of the matter. Our greed is just a, a presenting issue. It's our fear that Jesus is really addressing. He says, don't be afraid. Listen, remember the gospel. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what Jesus has come and done for you. He's left heaven and glory, entered into our pain, entered into our muck. He's gone to a cross to do what's, what theologians call the great exchange. He became sin, who knew no sin, that you might receive the righteousness of God. So on the cross, all of our sin and the wrath of God gets poured on Jesus, and he gives us his righteousness. The gospel tells us that if you are trusting in Christ today, you are a new creation. You are born again. You are an adopted saint. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm that you're lacking nothing. You have an inheritance that will last forever and ever. In Christ, you are joint heirs. We will reign for eternity. There, when we remember the gospel, we're like, yeah, all of that's true. So why do I worry so much about this? Why do I have fear? It's a trust issue. Several years ago, I, because I am a financial guy, I wanted to help my daughters think about handling their money rightly. And so we instituted allowance and it was based on their age. So if you were 10 years old, you got three times your age. So you got $30 for the month. But I said, here's the deal. You're going to meet with me each month, and you've got to allocate your money in three areas. You've got to, first and foremost, you've got to set aside what you're going to give and invest in the kingdom. So, so you're going to, a giving account. Next, you've got to save for the long term. So you have a, a long term saving. And, and then finally, whatever's left over, that's your spending money. And you can save that up and buy something big, or you can buy candy bars, whatever you want to do, you can do whatever you want with that. And so we started this, and, and so I, I remember bringing them, and I said, okay, so you're 10 years old, you've got $30, how much do you want to give? And I said, wow, $30? $20. I'm like, oh, oof. what do I do here, God? Um, I'm trying to teach them that they got to, you know, spend their own money and save for the future. And they want to give 20, uh, just, and every month I was like, no, okay, well, that's great that you're, you want to be generous. Okay, so, you know, 10% of $30 would be $3 and 20% would be $6 and, and 30% would be $9. Okay, I'll give $9. Okay, okay. So every month I had the, and, and I thought about that. I'm like, why, why are they like that? And, and I'm, you might say, well, maybe they just don't understand money. And that, that might be partially true. But, but then I thought about this truth that just struck me. They're like that because they know their father is going to provide for them everything they need and most of what they want. And they just know that. It gave me an insight to what Jesus said, that you have to have faith like a child. Like, oh, you're going to provide for me, so yeah, let's give, let's give away most of it, God. And I'm like, well, I don't do that. You're making me feel bad. But uh, so they're like, but we can trust you, Dad. And Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Who are you trusting in this? 
He says, fear not, little flock, for your, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Remember, you get the kingdom. You're, you're sons of the king. And so this side of eternity, it doesn't really matter as long as we have enough to get by. He says this. He gives them a plan. You can't take it with you, but as Randy Alcorn says, you can send it on ahead. You can invest in eternity. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. He says, look, it's temporary on this side of eternity, but if you invest on that side of eternity, it's going to last forever and ever and ever. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Reminds me of a quote from Augustine in the fourth century, Augustine, a church father of northern Africa, he said this on this commentary of this passage. He says, The rich fool did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storehouses for his barn than his barns. The bellies of the poor were much safer storehouses than his barns. So as a financial advisor, our, our goal would be to help people not think about the next five years, but the next 50 years, to give them a long-term perspective. But Jesus is coming and he's saying, don't think about the next five years or even the next 50 years. Think about the next 50,000 years. Think about the next 50 million years. You can now invest your life in those things and it will reap a reward and an echo throughout all of eternity. Your heart will be unclogged from fear and greed and you will have hearts of generosity and joy. So think about the next 50,000 years. So what would this look like? Well, that's, a, that's another sermon for another time. But I would just say this. Invest in things that are going to matter. Invest in God's kingdom priorities. Now, I hope that this community becomes a, a generous community for the glory of God and the joy of all people. But here's three areas that I think, biblically speaking, that, that each follower of Christ should, in some way, shape, or form, with their time and their talent and their treasure, be investing in. Uh, the first one would just be in the, the, the hope of the world, the local church. Some of you are visiting and you're trying to check out and you're saying, is this going to be a church or, or I'm just visiting. Wherever it is, uh, put down your roots deeply and say, I'm going to invest there for the hope of the world in my community. I'm going to give sacrificially and generously to the local church. But not just the local church. I think every Christian should be giving to a, a, another area, to the, what I would call the poor and the oppressed. When you read through the scriptures, you see that God's heart is for the poor and the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, and the foreigner. And so as Christians, apart from your politics, just as someone rescued and redeemed by the gospel, what does it look like to have a posture of saying, God, use me and the abundance that you've given me to help alleviate the pain and the suffering of others? And so we invest in areas of the poor and the oppressed. And by the way, here at, at Redemption Parker, whatever you give here, we want to be giving to these areas as well. And so we're going to invest in church planners because we believe in the local church. And we're going to find ministries and organizations that we can partner with to alleviate uh, poverty and, and, and pain and suffering. And then there's a third area that I think should be at the key, the core of all of our hearts. And that is the advance of the gospel to the nations. 
that, that we should have a global mindset. Jesus says a time is coming. We'll see this in a couple weeks when every, every, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come before the throne. That's going to happen. But right now, God is God of the ends, what's going to happen, and the means. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen be by his people generously giving and going and serving and serving and, and, and pouring out their lives for the cause of the nations. And so as you look at your bank account and you pull it up, watch out, be on your guard, and then say, Jesus, how can I invest this in such a way that there would be a a reward forever and ever, that you would be glorified and your people would be satisfied. So I don't know what that yet looks like in Parker, Colorado. But I'm praying that we would be a people that says, in a world that says money is God, that we would say, no, money is not our God, and we're going to use our money in such a way to make God glorious, make him famous. I'm praying for a spirit of generosity. Now, we're new here, so I don't know if that's going to happen. That's my prayer. Uh, But I've, I've been blessed to have had the opportunity to pastor in that situation before. In Okinawa, Japan, with uh, young military guys, enlisted guys, with, 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 by our standard, very little money, uh, there was just a, ser- a spirit of generosity at times. I think of one in particular, August of 2011. Uh, we had, we're going through the book of Isaiah. We saw God's heart for justice, to seek justice and, and to help alleviate the suffering of the poor and the oppressed. And I began to teach on this, and, and God just began to move in the hearts of people. I said, you know what? There are 27 million slaves in the world today, image bearers of God. We're trafficked in the sex trafficking industry, trafficked is, as in brick kilns and rice mills in India across the globe, 27 million slaves today, and that matters to God. And they said, yeah, it does matter to God. And they began to spur one another on, and the gospel communities began to think, how can we address this with our time and our talent and our treasure? And the community just began to collectively say, we are going to pour ourselves into this. And, and our whole budget for this little military church in, in Okinawa was like $80,000 for the year, uh, or maybe less than that. And in, in one month, these, these young, early 20-something military folks that the Spirit of God just moved on them, and they gave away $53,000 to partner with organizations that, that like International Justice Mission and others. And there was just a spirit of generosity. People were going into their bank accounts. They were going into their retirement savings and saying, I, I believe God can do something here. And, and just to be a part of that and stand on the side and see that, that was an amazing time. And you know what? They were happy like, no one was like, man, this really sucks. We've got to give all this money to the, to the slaves, you know. No one does that. Like, not only, not only does Jesus say you will reap a reward forever and you will be eternally happy, there is a joy in this lifetime when we give ourselves away for the cause of God's kingdom purposes. And so that's my hope and my prayer. So first and foremost, we have to remember the gospel. Secondly, we walk and, and live in light of the gospel. And so that's what we do every week here. This is just a, a time to, to encourage us and remind us and to send us out. And so I'm going to pray toward that end, and then we're going to come and remember the gospel one more time as we gather together around the communion table. There'll be communion in the back and in the front. And as you think about God's goodness and riches to you, just commune with your Savior in this time. Let me pray for us. God, I, I do pray that you would help each of us to have that attitude of watch out, 
Lord, that there would be nothing in our lives, no, no idolatry, whether it's money or, or anything else in our life that would get in the way of us seeing and savoring you, Jesus. And so help us to watch out. And then, God, help us to just remember the gospel. Help us to speak the gospel to each other, sing the gospel, uh, to enjoy communion together, but throughout the week as well to say what's true about us, that we are adopted sons and daughters and we are joint heirs with Christ and we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Lord, help us to walk in light of that truth as we seek to be gospel-centered. So, God, now be honored in this time as we come and turn our attention to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.